Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Talking CFD with Robin Knowles. It's kind of like my show, but for CFD nerds, prepare to ignite. Simon? Robin, how are you? Ah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I've got the coffee. We're, uh, I'm good to go. I'm almost awake. Cool. <laughs> uh, See, so I have my one coffee first thing, and then that's it. One caffeine hit for the whole day. What? Yeah, one cup of coffee first oh, thing. We're going to have to do an episode on that, I reckon. Okay. <laughs> coffee habits for CFD people. Yeah, because I reckon it's it powers most of the industry, surely. Well, yeah, I think certainly most people that I work with generally in engineering tend to have a greater coffee intake than I do. But yes, we, we could do a how does coffee help your CFD analysis. Does that mean you move on to scotch like straight away? <laughs> or no, it's not straight away. Oh, early okay. afternoon. Early afternoon. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. How's tricks? Yeah, very good. Thanks. Um, pretty busy. The upstream stuff's going well. Um, this is my yeah. This is my second week now of uh, being fully uh, master of my own destiny. So very busy. Enjoying it a lot. Oh, so you're in like pajamas and stuff then? <laughs> no. Um, but well, you say that. Um, I do start work quite early in the morning with a aforementioned cup of coffee, um, and sometimes that does involve pyjamas. I would like to do that, but I, the earlier I get up to start and do stuff like that, the earlier the kids get up to find out what I'm doing. Yeah, so for me, I kind of, I'm trying to integrate those things, so getting the kids to do a little bit of prep for school, get themselves ready. I thought for all the world you were going to say, getting the kids to do a bit of prep for meshing. (laughs) No, so I generally I'm up by about 6.30 and that involves coffee and just doing a bit of admin and prep for the day. So, you know, catching up on emails, a little bit of figuring out exactly what I need to do on that day. So no no kind of sitting around requiring silence and thinking because there's other things going on. But just kind of warming up to what I've got to do, checking a few emails. So, yeah. Yeah, I like it too. I don't do it, but I like it. <laughs> so how's things with you? You, uh, How's your client work looking? Yeah, it's not. It's fairly busy at the moment. I kind of, it, I went, it went quiet over the summer. So I'd kind of almost forgotten how to do it. But I've remembered, it's all right. Stand down. There's no emergency. I'm not going to have to subcontract it out to somebody else who can remember. Um So I've got this probably fairly weird goal stroke priority, which is to take most of the school holidays off. So um, sometimes that involves kind of working evenings when the kids are in bed or something like that, but um, trying to schedule it so that I've not got a massive project on during the the school holidays. I've got a similar similar goal. It's not. Well, yeah, I bet it is. So mine's sort of implicitly the same as yours but the more explicit bit is be able to go to places for a period of time during the summer holidays uh, and given that all i need to do my work is my laptop somewhere to sit and an internet connection that's my target for next year so have a two or three weeks of just going somewhere else um and hopefully not being super, super busy, but still being able to, you know, do a reasonable amount of work in the evenings or in the mornings when um, my wife and the kids pop out somewhere. So it's kind of the same, but I just like to be able to go to some places. Yeah, I feel that. 
The other thing that's happened since we last spoke is blah, 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 50 episodes. 50 episodes Yay. slid past. I didn't even really notice it until I went on iTunes and it said 50 items in this feed. Did it give you a, a little celebratory like picture like you no, it used should to have, get on Facebook? Well, yeah, you get those sorts of things on Facebook. Not oh, yeah, Facebook you've been here anymore. for a year. Right. Yeah, yeah. No fanfare, just a, just a number. And you went, oh, 50, that's nice. Yeah, the I also listened to a, a podcast that I've been listening to for for years. They they did their thousandth episode this week, so uh, we've got got a bit of a way to go. But um, yeah, some of them are a cheat because there's a couple of trailers in that list. But um, there's also we did some social episodes on Anchor, and they're not in that list. So I'm going to call it fair's fair fifty episodes. Nice one. Yeah, well done. So that's how many years' effort is that? Oh, I don't know. Far too many. I mean, that should be a weekly podcast. It should be a year's work, shouldn't it? <laughs> if you didn't have anything else to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. What did you reckon? Oh, no, hang on. Have we got any... Uh, I've just looked at my notes then. Have we got any uh, other... You want to share anything else with us? Uh, well, so I did something that I surprised myself with uh, this week. I bought a Windows laptop um, for work. Yeah. Didn't okay, think I'd must, do that. I must have misheard. No, I, I said the, the Windows word um, just because there's a couple of tools that um, it's much easier to use in Windows and a couple of things that I'm looking at from a, um, a kind of workflow perspective. So I didn't buy a fancy laptop. I managed to not do the shiny. I was looking at the shiny new Dell XPSs uh, and I was thinking about dual boots, but I just bought a refurbished um, Dell Latitude. Um, which is the same place I got my workstation from that I run Linux on. So that was quite good. And it came Windows 7 and I went, mm, okay, yeah. I'll, have to buy, I'll, I'll have to buy Windows 10. So I bought Windows 10 um, begrudgingly, but actually not too bad these days. Um, no, so yeah, I did better. that. It has got better. Um, and what's that, what else on a hardware front? I've managed to pick up a secondhand uh, Titan Black GPU. Um, so I'm interested in picking up some of the things that I've done with regards to smooth particle hydrodynamics in the past, which is something I think we'll probably chat a bit more about as we go on. Yeah. Now, some people would be aware of what that is, but what what what's the Titan Black GPU? Titan Black. So it's one of NVIDIA's um, not so recent gpus it's yeah but you can't keep about, up with them can you because no you can't keep up with them so to be honest <laughs> i've got to remember which architecture it is and i'm not sure because they've done maxwell they've done turing and i think they're on pasca Pasc- oh <laughs> yeah forgot about kepler so i think it's a maxwell spec um essentially i've got it because it's one of the ones that's got the better um fb64 so 64-bit floating point calculations so for doing some cfd stuff on um the later ones are better at um 16 bit i think for your machine learning and stuff okay and i was getting keen on one for doing ray tracing in paraview uh, but all of the newer ones are a bit more expensive so i got it off ebay uh, just to have a play around with is that a standalone thing or does that fit in your box it does fit in my box but it only just fits in my box i did when i bought the box i wasn't uh it wasn't on my agenda, so I had to measure the space in my box, and there's only just enough. Oh, well, I'm intrigued to hear how that uh, how that goes when you get to do some CFD play on it. Yes, I will keep you informed as I go along. Because it's not, we're still not really there, are we, with uh, GPU CFD options? No, certainly not as a par for the course. I mean, if you go looking, you can find stuff, but um, 
it fits, I think, into your category of uh, shiny things where you yeah. can't just you can't just go, yeah, I'll have a go on that now. It's like, oh, okay, I've got to install that, then I've got to play around with that. Oh, okay, and then I've got to point the open foam matrix solver to it. Uh, yeah, so it's certainly not um, out of the box ready by any stretch, I don't think. You make it so. You've got loads of time oh. now. Get, your, get <laughs> when you've, when you've after you've got dressed, you can go and give it a go. Yeah, cool. Um, episodes we've had two as always um airship bit different to each other um air shaper with Vouter and a spot of um, white water with kurt um a bit different and super interesting i um was super happy to see you get Vouter on for air shaper um i've seen his linkedin stuff um been aware of the air shaper tool set for a while so i thought that was super interesting just to get his perspective on kind of the how and the why he did it yeah, absolutely. There's something about the the sort of cloud-based ones where they have kind of unparalleled development speed because obviously they're 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 not having to push out a new version to everybody once a year or something like that. And watching the the tools evolve, same scale. Say the same about those guys. Probably Ingrid Cloud, um, maybe slightly less so for them because they uh, they came out with a fairly interesting unique tool set to start with but um, yeah watching it develop from being relatively limited but getting more more and more capable um yeah it's it's an impressive uh, impressive setup it's um interesting you mentioned ingrid cloud because the kind of delivery philosophy is very similar isn't it of upload your stl or your geometry um stick it in a wind tunnel or something let us take the prescribed, yeah prescribed domain and we'll do the other bits for you because i think some of the early stuff with ingrid cloud did have kind of car vehicle aerodynamics in there despite the fact that it seems their core offering is focused very much around the architectural industry um but there's i think there's a good set of similarity there between um between their approach obviously ingrid clouds what does that use that uses the phoenix thing doesn't it whereas valter's firmly in the open foam camp but both got a similar kind of black box take on it yes and it was super interesting his kind of his view and pitch on where that fits um and it was just nice to hear from him someone who's kind of gone and done that why he thinks that works and i think that was just a really neat um description of saying okay you know not everybody has got access to a um a commercial cfd tool or has the time experience or access to someone to do open foam for them um, but what they're working on would still be um, enhanced by doing some cfd to get some insight into how things are working oh here you go here's my tool it's all online um, and it's kind of as you say black boxified um, so that you don't have to worry about your turbulence model settings and all the other bits and bobs yeah i mean not really knowing anything about is it vowed the um, rucksack makers but i can't imagine that they've got a a huge sort of cfd heritage but um, you can absolutely see the benefits of being able to stick a prototype rucksack on some on a cyclist back in a uh, virtual wind tunnel and find out where you should be putting some vents to stop them getting a sweaty back on their way to work yeah so um and for me that was it's just interesting then he's got quite a lot of examples of race car aerodynamics which is kind of what you would expect but some of those other examples like you say so rucksacks for cyclists isn't necessarily where you think it would go but it just shows you the breadth of applicability once you take some of the complexity out of the process that there's lots of people who can get some value from it they seem to have narrowed it down to aerodynamics 
as opposed to all the other myriad, myriad things you could do with CFD, which I like. I like that that focus. It's niche, but it's not super niche. I mean, there's there's even there's a whole aerodynamics. That's everything from a commercial airliner to me walking outside. Obviously, the the race car stuff's a, a, an attention grabber for everybody. Um, it, I think SimScale went there quite heavy with um, with forming the student teams and what have you. Um, yeah, so and um, I think it was LinkedIn this morning. I saw um, Airshape was one motorsport technology of the year um, at some motorsport forum. I can't remember which one it was, but um, professional so, motorsport right. world. Oh, there you go. You're aware of it as well. Yeah, so I thought. I mean, for me, that's yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not making an inference or anything, but you know, it's <laughs> after they've been on the podcast, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe it's coincidence. I don't know. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's nice. Um, so uh, you know, for me, well deserved. It just seems to fit what he's done fits that niche area. Real, say a niche area. That kind of that slot between the complexities of of figuring out which turbulence modelling versus I've got some kind of aerodynamic challenge that I'd like some insight on, but I don't want to do the complicated stuff as we've said. Um, and I think you know that's for me that feels really justified that he's fitted that that kind of delivery model really, really well with what he's done. So, yeah. Yeah. The the other aspect that struck me, which was a kind of a sort of personal um, struck a chord, was the, the, the whole getting it done aspect. So kudos to somebody who has, or any, not just an individual, but any team that has a, an idea and some conviction and then goes out and, and builds something that doesn't exist. I feel like... Uh, I could do with a bit more of that, but um, but no, kudos to to anybody who does that, but particularly to Vouter and the team in 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 this in this instance. Yeah, and I guess it's um, it's a good example of the you know the development of cloud tool sets of use as you mentioned that not only the ability to deliver this kind of capability over the internet through a browser, but also the kind of development environment that allows you to do that super quickly and super agile. Um, as you said, there's some other examples as well, but it kind of fits in with that. Okay, not only can we deliver it for you, we can evolve it really quickly to get it to where we want and where that kind of client base sits. So, yeah, and like you said, just getting it done. There's, I guess the technical challenges are, are probably quite, could be quite serious, but also that little environment kind of takes out a lot of the barriers that you've got all of the things you need to kind of do the development and the provision given where cloud and software is going. Yeah, get on with it. What's stopping you? Exactly. Um, but I mean, the interesting thing for me as well, taking it on a slightly different slot, was um, you guys were chatting a little bit about the democratization aspect, which we've kind of covered. Um, and it just made me think about some of the previous things we've talked about um, and some of the other tool sets that you would say are kind of playing the doc democratization card and whether that's a kind of competitor to what Valter's doing. So something that popped into my mind was Discovery Live that we talked about a while back from Ansys. Yeah. Um, so I had a little look around and if you look at a license cost for that, I think that's just over £2,000 a year. Um, okay. And then you'll, you'll need some hardware with a GPU. That kind that of sounds unfeasibly reasonable. Well, yeah, so this was this was the thing that was bouncing around in my mind, was say you uh, did what I did, which is buy a refurbished workstation and stick a second-hand GPU in, 
Um, what was the cost for that all up was about six, seven hundred pounds. So you probably won't be getting the maximum out of your discovery life, but you'll no. even a decent spot to run it. So you've got a seven, eight hundred pound one off cost, and then you've got two thousand a year. Um, I just wonder from a commercial perspective if that's something that Balter thinks is a kind of competitive challenge to what he's doing. Um, I haven't dug into his pricing too much, but certainly from a um, a situation where you might believe you wouldn't have any additional costs and you can run your GPU flat out for a year, that kind of you know sub three thousand pound cost seems um, eminently viable. Yeah, I mean, even better if you've um, already forked out on a uh, super duper CAD workstation that's doing nothing when you go home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the other thing that that made me think about was just from this kind of democratization discovery live perspective. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Not sure where it's gone. Um, I don't know what, where democratization's gone. No. <laughs> well, that's another podcast, isn't it? And it's over. It's sat in a cupboard with digital twins. Uh, <laughs> has it got a big padlock on it? Well, yeah, it doesn't seem to have got out. Whatever it is, they don't, <laughs> don't notice that they, the doors unlocked and they could come out. <laughs> They like it in the cupboard. Um, but I, I guess the thing I was getting out there was um, it would be great to know kind of how many Discovery Live live licenses ANSYS are selling, you know, back into oh, this sure, kind of... I'm sure they'll pony up that information. <laughs> well, of course not. Um, but it kind of, it's back to that point that, you know, Valter was very eloquent about, which is where, you know, where his product offering sits. Um, and I guess my argument is I think Discovery Live might sit in quite a similar space, um, and was that was that kind of ANSYS's view? And has have they, you know, been accepting some cannibalisation of their fluent licenses? I'd expect not. And then you're into the question of, well, is Discovery Live as accurate as Fluent, and all that other interesting stuff that we yeah. could, uh, we could dig into. But I guess just at a high level, it's just interesting to me where where that development of the Discovery Live platform sits in terms of how well it's been growing and how well it's being picked up. I think there's a there's a, a tendency or a temptation to see some of these um, more easier to use codes as kind of an on ramp to you know sort of a gateway drug to full full fat CFD, um, and I'm I'm not sure that's going to play out. You know, I think the the delta. I, I mentioned this, I think, in the podcast. I certainly mentioned it in a comment um, in the Facebook group, but that the, the delta between no CFD and some CFD is huge um, from a product development point of view. If you're doing no simulation at the moment, the kind of insight that you can get from doing relatively, I'm going to call it basic, this is not, that's not supposed to denigrate any, any tool or anything like that, but it's just to sort of separate from, we're not talking about high order methods and, and that sort of thing. So the delta between doing some CFD and doing no CFD is, is enormous. And I'm not sure that necessarily people are going to graduate from tools like Airshaper and SimScale and Discovery Live into Star CCM Plus, for example. They're, they're different people deriving different value from that tool. Um, and if it was intended as a sort of on-ramp, then I'm not sure it's necessarily going to work like that. I don't. It'd be interesting to see how it plays out, but yeah, not convinced. Yeah, I and I completely buy into that. It very much depends on the nature of the organisation that's using it. So if you've got like a an SME that, like you say, wants to get the value of that big delta from no CFD to 
the black box. Does that theory. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think so because. But then you've you've I don't know. Say you've you've, you've I don't know. Your, your black box CFD gives you I don't know eighty percent of the hundred percent available delta. Um, like you say, it's a massive jump, and then it's a case of well, okay. So what's the cost benefit of then getting another five percent or another ten percent? I don't think that's going to be viable for a number of SMEs who will be like, well, okay, I've got my 80%. Let's just work with that, you know, build that into my design process, get the insights from the CFD into into my designers' heads. Um, I'm just kind of, it'd be interesting to see how that maps to the size of the organization that's using it. So this is kind of, I popped up to the advanced engineering show at, um, Birmingham the other week um, and there was a bunch of talks there this is a slightly off piece but it'll it'll come back round um there's a, there was a bunch of talks there about um internet of things and um, oh, that's in the cupboard with the digital twin yeah so um, was it industry 4.0 oh, in there damn. as well uh, <laughs> no but it was a really uh, really good presentation from um, a guy who's developed a software company that tries to bring some of those kind of connectivity benefits to much smaller organizations. Uh, Um, And the statistic he came up with was that in the UK, I can't remember the number, but it was somewhere around 90% of uh, the manufacturing companies in the UK employ 50 people or less. Yeah. So that's just, um, obviously that's not the kind of, um, weighted against um, the number, you know, how many employees there are total and what's their distribution amongst the bigger companies. But if you just think of 90% of the companies that are in that industry probably don't have that scope for, you know, the investment and the timescale and the complexity of doing whatever the details of Industry 4.0 will add for them. And he was saying, well, they shouldn't. Here's just a simple way of giving uh, an app that, uh, someone who's operating a lathe can put on their phone and they can put some information in about how productive they're being and all that kind of stuff. So that was that was the analogy that I took with what you were saying, which is, you know, you can implement it, whether it's CFD in a black box way or very simplified um, industry 4.0 and get this big kind of 80% of the, of the gain hit but there's just not the value of taking the next cost step for the next 5%. So I think you're dead right. I think, you know, once you've got that, that benefit will be valuable enough for you to kind of progress with what you're doing without having to get lost in the details. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, in that context, I'm, I'm, I guess that's kind of where answers of pitch discovery live would be my expectation, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Is that where they're in their mindset? That was where it was going to go and live. Yeah, my my guesstimate would be that it's going into places where there's going to be two or three seats maximum of it. You know, you're not. There's. I'd be very surprised. Well, there's always the um, the outlier, isn't there? But I'd be very surprised if you're going to walk into a room full of um, 500 designers and they're all running Discovery Live in some organisation somewhere, apart from maybe at Ansys. It's early days. It'd be interesting to see how it um, how it plays out. I think one of the things was in the uh, to sort of change tack a little bit. One of the things in the olden days was it was very difficult to reach 
um, those smaller customers. So for the effort that you put in, you might as well be going after these the big accounts and the big customers, and, and that's how you sold the software, um, where people can find it for themselves. And in the in the case of Airshaper, you can. I hadn't realised this until he, he trailed it in the episode, but you can literally go in and and upload your geometry and, and go through the step-by-step step until it gets to the point where it's time to press go and then you need to decide whether you want to um, you want to spend some money. But even getting a, a sort of demo of, of one of the commercial codes is, is so many orders of magnitude more difficult than that. And that would be for somebody else to come and show you what it does, not for you to play with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that talks to your point about um, the kind of focus on aerodynamics. So yes. you kind of kind of condensed all of that extra detail that you might have to get into, but Airshape is simplifying for you because it's very much aerodynamics focused. Um, whereas if you did, like you say, try to follow a similar route of, oh, just have a quick go on Discovery Live, then you've got to sign up, get a license code, install a thing, um, figure out what it's doing with regards to turbulence modeling or whatever else. Cause I think discovery life does heat transfer and solid mechanics and other bits. Um, so it does come with that baggage that Airshaper just simply makes go away for you. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I like those tools. I like the discovery live type tools. Not, I mean, not that there's anything else particularly similar to that, but you know, the, the CAD embedded type tools, uh, the, the full feature, the full fat ones, all of it. I think there's space for all of it. And this, and it, trying to construct any kind of dichotomy of, oh, this is the way we should be going or versus this, or this is better than that. They have wasted time. There's a, there's a bum for every seat to use a, a favorite phrase, but also, um, should be more concentration on growing the pie rather than taking what is a fairly small pie at the moment and trying to chop it up between these uh, uh, these existing codes. Um, yeah, let's grow the pie. Do more CFD. Yes, get your eighty percent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's switch gears or switch paddles or whatever we want. Did you watch the videos? Did you see what we were talking about? Yeah, uh, loved it. I just this was super interesting to me. Um, something that I, if you'd asked me to kind of guess where you would go with the podcast, this would not have been on the list. White water um, CFD. Yeah, awesome stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me it was just super interesting from an application where I wouldn't necessarily have expected people designing white water. Um, activity parks to immediately have jumped on oh let's do some cfd yeah we can do open phone okay let's go for it um and in hindsight it's a case of well why didn't you expect that you fool of course they will um but it was just an eye-opener because it just wasn't in my mindset so that that whole aspect i just was super interesting no, it was cool. And uh, Kurt's such a sort of cool customer. He kind of downplayed it a little bit. I think what they were what they were actually doing. I, uh, you know, we're not talking about like a little two D slice through something. And yeah. there was some serious scale going on. The kind of the kind of size of model, both in terms of the physical size and the run times, that would give me an ulcer. Well, quite. So there was the size, and then there was the. Um complexity so you know there's quite a lot of physics complexity that Kurt was um, explaining which kind of flows together <laughs> pun not intended you know you've got f- physics complexity you've got large scale for an application where it wasn't intuitive to me that this was kind of how they would 
go through the design process. So those things together, it was not only a case of, all oh, right, okay, yep, CFD for, for, for kind of whitewater park design. Okay, right, you know, you've jumped in with both feet here and doing it properly. Um, so that was, um, yeah, that was uh, quite eye-opening. I, uh, I also quite liked that he was, uh, it took a bit to extract it, but he was a paddler as well. Um, and he could, he got to the point, I think, where he could, look at his CFD simulation and go, yeah, that'd be fun to paddle or yeah, that's not going to be, that's not going to be up to much. No. And that was the other thing that I uh, was super interesting was um, I was wondering how much better does he think he is at paddling given his appreciation of the physics that he needs and has learned as a part of doing the CFD. Um, and I guess the analogy that was in my mind and you kind of touched on it a little bit with kind of your desires to work in uh, motorsport aerodynamics, but, you know, realised you'd never be a, a racing driver. Um, so that took you down the kind of design CFD aerodynamics route. But kind of Kurt's almost, from a, a motorsport analogy, he's, he's almost the CFD analyst and the aerodynamicist and the driver all in one person. Yeah, you don't get that packaged up too often. You know the other. Ne- do you know the other name that springs to mind for that? If you're going to keep your motorsport analogy, is um, Willem Tote. Yes, yes. Could either yeah. race it or design it, or then do both. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's not many of those those folk around, so that was uh, that was nice. It's it's just it is mind blowing what small teams can do these days. It really is. They, yeah, they've always I- they've always been doing it. You know when it was when a Formula One team was five guys in the factory and they used to turn out a race car 12 times a year and go win the championship. Um, but just across industries, um, oh, what a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Coming back to what Kurt was saying, the physics part was interesting for me as well, just from a kind of CFD challenges perspective. Yeah. You've got your turbulence modelling, you've got your aeration, you've got your scale, the fact that you kind of have to stack the different features of your park into the same model. You can't necessarily take the outlet from one and patch it onto the inlet of another. So that kind of, you know, that level of um, challenge from fitting it together from a physics and CFD process perspective um, that was that was good. What did he did he say he was? He said open foam. I can't remember the hardware approach. Did you guys talk about that? In what respect? Was it, was it a cloud thing or an internal hardware thing? Or oh, I know the the one that ran for two weeks ran on AWS, which, as I say, would, ah, like okay. I say, would absolutely give me an ulcer. And he 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 was fairly relaxed about checking it. I'd have been on there every twelve minutes, seeing if it was still going. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I guess that's kind of, he's probably done it enough times yeah, to have right. enough, enough confidence in his checklist that once he's kind of run through his checklist and click go, he'll be all right. But Good to absolutely, go. the first the first two or three times you do that, your checklist is probably as big as the New Testament and you are <laughs> checking it every 30 seconds <laughs> in panic. So um, I guess that's kind of part of the evolution of building the capability, right? You get to that point where you're confident enough in your setup that you can click go for two weeks and not lose too much sleep. Yeah, absolutely. What, what did you reckon to the the whole getting your CFD simulation in VR and paddling it virtually. An awesome thing from a kind of PR Yeah, that's how they were approaching it. I guess there's probably a big part of gamification in there as well. So if imagine you could, I don't know, whichever your 
personal uh, gaming console of choice, their VR capability, and you could kind of, you know, the whatever it is, the 2020 version of Daily Thompson's Decathlon from our <laughs> era, um, with your with your kind of hash in the space you, bar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was it repetitive? Repet- they didn't do repetitive strain injury in those days, did they? They blooming well should have done. Um, but yeah, that kind of that gamification, and then the kind of the follow through on that, which is well, actually, that was quite cool playing this Whitewater uh, Rapids game on my PSVR. Other consoles are available. Oh, actually, there's a water park twenty miles from me. Well, let's just go and give it a go for real. So I think that whole kind of environment and ecosystem, um, I'd like to see that play out quite strongly. So I think he mentioned the uh, SPH as well. You mentioned it earlier. There is actually an SPH particle-based code coming up in a couple of weeks. Or might even be next week. Ooh, that's somewhat of a tease because I'm super interested. So talk SPH to me and we'll see what you reckon to the interview. (laughs) Okay, so um, I don't know how much you know about it. You probably know a fair bit. I can spell it. You can spell it. Um, so it's basically, a, or it does what it says on the tin, a particle way of dealing with multi-phase flows, um, which means you can get out of some of the unpleasantness that Kurt was talking about of having to worry about how well refined your water-air interface is. Um, so it's a nice feature from kind of, simplifying some of those challenges and the architecture and algorithms are well suited to gpus so it plays into the gpu Uh, space quite nicely um so i had a look at a particular version which was dual sph physics so dual s physics kind of in some single word acronym which is i think there's a university in spain and there's a big part of that that's up in manchester if i remember correctly um so i think for me that's quite an interesting place in terms of what it can do for those types of physics problems i think you see it i think there's a few commercial offerings certainly in i see lots of nice movies in the gearbox lubrication application space uh, which has that that same challenge of yeah. kind of how well do you spray your oil around your gearbox? Um, same challenge for normal CFD of refining that interface. So there's some good applications there. And that was kind of half of the reason for my um, secondhand GPU purchases to get back into that a little bit. Um, so that was, it would have been funny if you'd have, uh, if you could have seen me and my thought process the first time I listened to your uh, podcast with Kurt, because I'm literally sitting at my desk just screaming, SPH, somebody talk about <laughs> SPH. And then you did. I was, yay. <laughs> um, so that was quite an interesting uh, mental journey. Of, oh, you've got to talk about it. You've got to talk about it. And you guys did. Um, so I guess the other interesting thing there is um, it sounded like Kurt was well aware of it and wanted to get into it, but he hadn't quite opened Pandora's box on it just yet. No, I think they're a fairly tight team, and I think uh, it's one of those where if you're, if you're delivering projects, you maybe not uh, developing methods, but uh, we've touched on that kind of thing before. Yeah, and I, I guess from my awareness as well, I mean, it, it does somewhat simplify the challenge of resolving the... Um, the gas and liquid phase interface but by the same token you've still got a resolution input which is kind of what's the what's the spatial extent of your smooth particles um 
and there's a whole bunch of other stuff there about, well, okay, actually, I'm not resolving my interface well enough, so I have to split one particle into two particles, and how do I do that when I conserve mass and momentum and all the other stuff? So you kind of still end up in that same situation. So I was interested in in how well SPH would solve this resolution problem, and would it be straightforward to give Kurt the information that he would normally get out of his finite volume CFD, or would he still be like, actually, these particles are looking a bit too coarse. Right. I'm, not seeing, I'm not seeing the aeration that I would expect here. Um, so that was just something that um, would be nice to to kind of get his opinion of how accurate it actually would be, because you see a lot of some of the material I've seen from the SPH um, examples back to the uh, the code I was talking about, you see lots of kind of flows around boats and um, weirs and dam breaks and they're kind of the water's washing cars down the road and all that kind of stuff that looks very accurate. But this was the first example that I was aware of where someone could make a very critical comparison to how accurate it would be versus taking the finite volume approach. So hopefully he'll go and do it and you can chat with him again. Can I put you on the spot with a uh, sort of newbie question? And if it doesn't work out, I'll edit it out. (laughs) Of course. Um, SPH versus what you might see in the uh, other codes as the kind of Lattice Boltzmann codes. How are they related? Oh, okay. So um, Lattice Boltzmann is more about the equations that it's solving so Lattice Boltzmann codes don't solve the Navier-Stokes equations. I think I think they solve a Boltzmann equation, which is more molecular um, rather than continuous. Whereas smooth particle hydrodynamics, to my understanding, uh, still tries to solve the Navier-Stokes equations, but in a particle way rather than a finite volume. Ah, uh, okay. So I think it's I think it's an equation solving type thing, and I know there's a bunch of stuff going on in lattice boltzmann world with multi-phase and free surface things but things is about as detailed a technical understanding i have at the moment does that answer does that answer your question or or, or? yeah well yeah no it does it elevates my uh, knowledge around this area manifold <laughs> well i mean i guess the interesting thing is lattice boltzmann's got as we've talked about with discovery live that's got a big gpu play as well yeah um which is interesting given that the finite volume stuff seems to not be making that play, but it's very much particle methods and lattice Boltzmann's are all very GPUable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they, maybe they're about to have their time. I think so. it seems like they should have their time in terms of having a decent route to what Kurt was talking about, which was, I, I just kind of need some more power. Yes. Um, but then there's the kind of plays back to what we we're talking about with what Valt has done, which is then, well, okay, so here's a smooth particle hydrodynamics code that you can set running on your box of four GPUs. You know, what is the complexity overhead of figuring out how you do turbulence modeling in smooth particle hydrodynamics? Um, and it's waiting for somebody to do what Vout has done for race car aero for whitewater rafting, maybe. Right. Hang on. I'm just going to note that down. <laughs> in the spirit of getting things done. Okay, well, if you go off and do it, I'll. You know, can I have a, a small cut for giving yeah, you the you idea? Yeah. Well, it's on the it's on the interwebs now. Speaking of on the interwebs, um, what have we, we usually have something to share? Have you got anything uh, from your travels on the interwebs that you want to share with the rest of the class? 
So the uh, the one that jumped out for me this week was uh, I think it's the fifteenth Open Phone Workshop um, is in Virginia in the US next year, and that just made me think about our previous conversations about value of these conferences from a networking perspective so interested in your thoughts on that because i think you've been to one of the so the workshop ones for the open phone conferences are the more foam extend driven material have i got that right kind of yeah ish well as with most open phone things there's various flavors, isn't there? So I've been to the conference that ESI do, typically in Germany, yep. typically around their version of, of open foam, but not exclusively by any stretch. And then I've also been to the workshop, as you say, which, yeah, it does sort of stray a little bit more towards foam extend, but it's also fairly fairly open. You know, there's there's stuff from all over the place. I mean, there's got to be stuff from all over the place if they've got me there talking about the podcast. Um, what was your thoughts on the workshop that you went to? Because I've been to the ESI one, but I haven't been to the workshoppy one. Um, interesting. But, I mean, it was always going to be. The, 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 the content is, uh, all of these things, is always interesting. Um, however, the, the debate for me is whether interesting is enough to justify the time and the cost. I think with a lot of conferences, I, I could do without the actual presentations and that aspect of the conference in the the conference for me is about um talking to the the various people and it when you're all sat in a room watching somebody do a presentation that removes a huge swathe of time where you could be talking to people so i think they call it the hallway track don't they you know that the uh, the most interesting part of uh, of conferences is what goes on with the hallway yeah, exactly, and those those conversations around uh, around the dinner table and things like that. So, uh, I do like all that aspect. Um, I don't think I'll be going to Virginia, unfortunately. No, it's uh, it was uh, kind of yeah, trying to find reasons that I could justify going, and I was like, yeah, uh, well, put your just started your own small business hat on, Simon. You need a really good reason, and you haven't got one. So disappointed with being logical and serious about it all. It's not necessarily a happy hat, but it's a hat you must have. Otherwise, you go bust. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So what have you seen from uh, Interweb World? Well, I'm going to make it very boring for uh, people who are not in the open phone world. So we mentioned about a joint in the ESI version of Open, TFT, um, open Phone, and they were trailing that they're going to be have mesh deformation in there as well to go with the two, so you can do a kind of a joint optimization. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the uh, the example of a joint is actually in a folder called a joint optimization at the moment, which is a bit of a stretch. It's not it's not optimization by any by any aspect of the imagination. But um, mesh deformation, interesting. I think I'm making a bit of a fuss out of nothing because I think a joint and Mesh deformation have been in codes like SU2, uh, amongst others, in the open source world for for years. Um, so perhaps I should temper that excitement, but uh, it certainly looked interesting. So I was well aware that SU2 had been doing a joint 
for some time. I certainly wasn't aware that they tied that into mesh deformation as well. Yeah, I think they've got so, a little. There's a, like a module in there that that does the thing. So I think the uh, the mesh deformation that they were trailing for um, the Open CFD version was a kind of um, a control net type thing, and I think that's the same for SU2 as well. Um, so you can um, define a little net of points around your geometry and squeeze and pull and push and what have you. Okay, yeah, so I guess the um, the thing that was jumping to my mind was I'm assuming that's all in-house type functionality, Ooh, which yeah, would be know. C++. Uh, the reason I mentioned that is it fits back into the uh, to the shiny things box. Um, quite a lot of the shiny things I want to play with are Python modules these days. Is there a Python module for everything? Uh, well, it's for me the analogy. Whenever it was, when uh, when it was the phrase was, "Oh, there's an app for that." Yeah, uh, when, when the iPhone came out. Yeah, uh, for me, almost for the most part, engineering challenges that I come across, it's almost a case of, "Oh, yeah, there's a Python module for that." Um, and so there's a Python module called PyGem. P Y G E M. I don't know what it stands for, but I'm pretty sure it's something to do with Python geometry manipulation, um, and that basically does the uh, does the geometry morphing as part of what you've been talking about with this OpenCFD capability. Uh, and I think it's got the ra- there's different ways of moving your geometry around, isn't there? So there's radial basis functions and some other bits and bobs. Um, but this looked really quite cool uh, because it will do your source geometry so it'll deform your igis for you it will deform oh, right. your, it will deform your stl if you're in an stl stage uh, and it will also deform your points file in your open phone polymesh directory so oh really that was like okay i want to have a go on that and it was yes put it in the shiny shiny things box simon and carry on with your actual work um but that was kind of what jumped to my mind when I saw a similar thing. I think it was a Twitter post of the back of a car yes. with some pressure contours and a little grid of bo- of points all being moved around. I was like, oh, okay, that's what I wanted to do in PyGem. Um, it's funny now that the, the main frustration I have with starting out working for myself is that I just want to spend more time playing with my shiny things box. I didn't quite have that frustration previously. I had other frustrations, but now that's my only one. So oh, that's just nice. It is, it's a good frustration to have, um, and I guess it's a nice nice plan to have when you might not be um, completely busy with client work to have an interesting box of things that you think are valuable to go and have a look at. Um, anything else to share? I don't think so. I think that, uh, I think that was quite a good um, chat around lots of different things, actually. You know, we've got a nice yeah, little structure. Gamut, with, did it? <laughs> absolutely um so well the thing for me now is you're going to have to if you can't tell me any more details about your sph podcast you can at least tell me when it's going to be i believe it's next week oh okay coming tuesday excellent i will look forward to that one are you going to give me any more little hints to keep me even more super interested than i already am no Oh, you're a hard man, Robin. You're a hard man. But I will say it's one of those episodes where you're probably going to need to dip out or whilst listening to it, go and check out some videos because they Ooh. do lend themselves to uh, to making some visually impressive animations. Oh, awesome stuff. I look forward to it. Cool. Talk to you soon, Simon. Take care, Robin. Cheers. Cheers.